we learn typically from the earliest age by watching what other people do. It's, it's, it's just a natural part of our development. We, we learn ultimately by studying and research and activities like that to train us and prepare us. But for the most part, especially our beginning fundamental education comes from the examples we see. And so we watch and we observe and we see what's taking place and what we see and what we observe becomes something that we begin to emulate in our lives. Sometimes it's very intentional and sometimes it's not intentional. It just happens by being in relationship with one another. One of the great benefits to our faith and to the the growth of our faith and being a part of a group of people is it gives us an opportunity to learn, to watch, to experience, and to see examples. If you think back over over your life and you think about especially your faith and the authenticity of your faith, much of your faith is developed off of relationships and examples that you watched and you experienced and you saw how they did something or how they spoke about something or how they experienced something. And that began to give you ideas and guidance for how to live out our faith. Examples are powerful throughout Scripture. And in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 1, as Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, his opening words express the power of example, the power of the messengers and the models in our lives, which, of course, then also turns around to us. And we have to recognize we have that same opportunity. We have that same responsibility. We set an example. We become models that somebody can emulate. We become messengers that help people understand and experience their faith in a true and realistic and authentic fashion. That's what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is a little letter at the end of our New Testament. And as he's writing to this letter and he's, and he's writing to this church... In the very first part, he's talking about all the things he's thankful for, all the things that he's grateful for. And one of the primary things he's grateful for of this church in Greece is that they set an example. Look at verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. You know how we lived among you for your benefit. And you yourselves became imitators of us and the Lord When in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. So look through the process here for just a second. Paul says, when we arrived and we were there and you received us, we set an example. You know how we lived among you. Not just in church service, but in meals and in in shopping and commerce and activity and business and relationship. You know. They knew in Thessalonica how Paul, how, how Silas, how Timothy, they knew how they lived. They watched how they lived. And as they watched, then they became imitators of these leaders. 
And then as they became imitators of these leaders, which ultimately in the Christian church means our goal is to imitate Christ, but the most tangible, visible representation of Christ is in the people that we watch. As they imitated Christ by imitating Paul and Timothy and Silas, as they imitated those leaders, then they became an example. And that example then multiplied because as they became an example to the whole region of Greece, as, they, as that took place, then God's word went forth and every place they went they're now carrying forth the faith that they have in God at the last part of verse 8 there has, has gone out. It's the multiplying impact of true faith that we watch and we begin to live and others watch us and they begin to live and literally in a very positive fashion faith begins to touch and impact people's lives and make a difference in people's lives. If we think about it for just a minute, much of what we know about faith and living a life of faith, we, we watched and we saw. I prayed my first real prayer because I watched guys pray. I didn't know how to pray. I, I didn't know how to communicate with God. I, I, had, I just didn't have any perception on how that was supposed to be. I didn't have a book to teach me. I didn't have any of those resources available. But I had watched for months as an unbeliever before I met Christ. I had watched for months when these guys would pray. When we would sit down at a meal, I would sit down. And sometimes it's awkward when you're in the place where those examples are happening, I would sit down for a meal and I would start eating. I mean, that's a very natural tendency. But then they would stop and they would pray. As I became a Christian, I began to notice lots of people had different ways of doing that. Some people prayed in a very individualistic fashion. They would, we would sit down for a meal and we'd get ready to eat and they would fold their hands or they would hold their hands and they would stop and there would be silence. And I would be going... Check my posture. Waiting for somebody to finish. And then somebody finally says amen and then we can eat. I remember as I was watching, particularly in the area of prayer, and I've probably shared this before, but not too long after I'd been a Christian, probably six, seven months into the process of, of having true faith and experiencing true faith and knowing Jesus, um, my dad asked me one time. I, I had come home for a holiday or a break and, and he asked me, he said, I don't understand your language. I said, what do you mean you don't understand my language? He says, I don't, like when you guys pray, you're, you're always qualifying your prayer. And I'm, you know, kind of defensive, like I'm not qualifying anything, Dad, I'm just praying, you know? And he's going, no. Every time you all pray, it's all about just the, the limitations of what you're saying. I mean, Dad, you're not making sense. No. He said, pay attention to how you pray. He said, you pray. Father, we just want to tell you we love you. We want to just thank you for this meal. We, we just want to let you know we're supporting the missionaries. I'm like, we don't do that. He goes, yes, you do it all the time. And I said, I don't know. You know, you get frustrated sometimes with parents. I say, I don't know, let's just pray. <laughs> and then I began to notice. 
Every time I prayed, it was just this and just that. And, and, and I don't even know, I don't even understand how that fits into actually normal English and grammar and why you would even do that. But the reason I was doing it was because I was listening to deacons, no offense against deacons, I was listening to deacons in that first church that I was a part of pray every Sunday morning and they would pray just this and just that and just, you know, and just this. And I had picked it up. More importantly, thankful, these, these, at this point in my life, I also began to realize and understand how to pray. And because I was able to be around people who were praying, I learned that it really wasn't the words that mattered, it was the heart, that I was having a conversation with God. Church can be confusing sometimes. Back then, um, when you went to church, you would, you would ha- there'd be a lot of, lot of activity and movements. It was kind of like going to aerobics on a Sunday morning. You would, you would do one song and you would need to stand and then you would need to sit and then you would read something and you would stand and then they would tell you to sit and then they would tell you to stand and, and then they'd tell you to sit and then they'd tell you to stand. And it's like, I'm tired by the time church is over with. Now, in our congregation, you just do what you want to do. Most of us just stand the whole time because we don't want to make decisions on when to stand and when to sit. Some sit all the time. And we don't care because we just want you to express the love that you have for Christ in your heart. But I watched. The only thing more confusing than a Christian church uh, early on was the first time I went to a Catholic church. Because there's like six postures you're supposed to have at different times and things you're supposed to do at different times. We watch and we see. Sometimes it's confusing, but for the most part, it begins to help us. I, I learned to pray before meals. I learned to pray when I was with friends. I learned to pray before I went to sleep at night because I'd go to a camp or a retreat and, and somebody in the dormitory would say, let's, let's pray before we go to bed. And I would learn to pray. And, and so that carried over, it carries over into my life today. I never go to sleep, Carrie and I never go to sleep without praying together. We have this little saying in our family when the kids were growing up, we always said, let's kiss and pray every night. We prayed together and we kissed one another and then we would go to bed. It's a habit, it's a discipline, but it began to help me understand and then help transfer that into the lives of my children that this is a good thing to do. It's okay to end my day talking to God about my day or about what I'm anticipating the next day. It's, it's this process that Paul describes of watching and being watched in these relationships. This is how we lived, he says. You became imitators of that, ultimately imitators of Christ. You welcomed the message and you embraced it and as a result then you became an example because somebody's watching us at all times. Those of us who have kids, and we've seen that with our children, they're always watching, and we're not always excited about the things that they imitate. But fortunately, they filter some of it and they imitate some of the good things. We have colleagues and coworkers and fellow students at school, they're watching. They, they want to see how we're going to respond to that crisis. They, they want to see how we cope and deal with the problem or the trouble we have in that moment. They want to see how we celebrate. 
They want to watch how we live. The gospel, the the good news that the gospel stands for and describes that message of hope that's found in Christ that tells us the simplicity of God's love that is so deep for us that we can respond to that and we can stop and we can say, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life and he'll come into our life. But they see that, not just in its verbal form, but in our lives and the things we do. One of the most powerful things and privileges that I think God gives us is the privilege of being an example. And it's not just leadership. It's not just the ones who end up on platform and underneath a spotlight. It's the way we live each and every day. I try to remind myself constantly because some environments are difficult. I try to remind myself when I'm at a restaurant that doesn't have enough employees because of the economic conditions and the health conditions of our current society in the United States and they're running behind or they can't provide what I've always wanted or the way I always have experienced it. I try to remind myself they're watching and how I live in this moment is going to be a characterization of Jesus. And I want that characterization to be accurate and true. I, I can't imagine Jesus at any, any point in his relationship with the disciples going to eat a meal in a public place and he cheats the waitstaff. Jesus sits there and calculates it out. I just don't see Jesus doing that. I don't see Jesus yelling at the poor guy who's, who's trying to bring me my food but can't do it because they don't have enough cooks in the kitchen. I don't see Jesus walking into a store and taking it out on some poor clerk that the shelves are half empty. How do we live each and every day? What, what kind of model are we? Because yes, in the context of church, they're watching. We teach classes. We interact with classes. We spend time with people. We're together in corporate moments like this where we gather together and people watch and people experience and they learn from that and they begin to imitate that and we have the opportunity of spreading the, the hope that's found in Jesus all around us. But the more difficult moments are actually not when we're in church as hard and as complex as it can feel sometimes to understand how do I behave in church? How do I behave in public? What about the people that I work with every day? You know, a a church office, a church staff uh, isn't like this place of immunity from difficulties. My staff sees me sometimes at my best moments but most of the time at my worst moments. When I'm so frustrated with something that I, I don't know how to and I don't appropriately respond to it. Or when I'm so tired or so exhausted that I don't really have the reserve to, in a sense, appropriately behave. They see and they watch. And I see and I watch them. And we learn. And we grow. 
And the message in Christ spreads every place we go. I love that phrase. It's kind of one of those things. I wish there was a way to just kind of, kind of you know, tattoo it on my arm where I could see it all the time. Every place that your faith in God has gone out. Paul didn't see a limitation to where we show and demonstrate who Jesus is. In fact, in verses 9 and 10, in the, in the last part of this section, he basically describes some of those observations that specifically in the case of Thessalonica, specifically in this particular church, they had done well. In verse 8, he talks about their reputation. He's describing what he's heard about from other churches and from other people about this church. And he says in verse 8, if we don't, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves, the other people, are reporting about you. Now, we've done this a couple of times as a consultation. I'm sure we'll do it again. It's interesting to ask people who aren't a part of us what they think of us. In a recent consultation just a year or so ago, we literally would go into restaurants, we would go into stores in the community, and we would say, we would ask simple questions like, where's First Baptist Church? Under our current facilities, um, that's 100% fail. Nobody knows where our church is. We are attempting to correct that. We've hired architects. We're in the middle of design on the new property and the new campus, and it's exciting. We had a great meeting yesterday. We've got meetings coming up again this next week in that design process, listening to you, hearing your ideas of what that space is going to be like. But the most important thing it's going to be is easy to find. Not buried in a neighborhood, not difficult to locate. We'd ask them, what do you, what, what do you know about First Baptist Church? What, what, are, they, what are they doing? What kind of activities do they have? What kind of programs do they have? Who's the pastor? Most of those are typically fails. We carry a reputation. I remember in one consultation, this was like five or six years ago, we were asked by the consultant, if First Baptist Church disappeared, not just the building, but the people, if, if we woke up one Sunday morning and First Baptist Church didn't exist, what would the community miss most? It was kind of painful to stop and think about that. What would they miss? If everybody comes to work tomorrow and First Baptist Church doesn't exist, what will they miss? Or will they miss? How long will it be before they even realize, oh, they're not there? Our reputation makes a difference. Because our, our reputation, it's not about us, it's not about our ego, it's about our impact. It's how we take our faith every place we go. And it commends the receptivity. They, they're, they're talking about and they're reporting specifically about the reception in verse 9 that the apostles and the missionaries and the teachers had when they got in Thessalonica. The church won it. To grow, the church wanted to mature, the church wanted to have teachers, the church wanted things to happen in a way that makes a difference and touches the community and touches the world. There was a receptivity to what was taking place. They wanted to grow, they wanted to see the example, and they wanted to live the example. 
And then the redirection that's also in verse 9. They talked about how you turned to God from idols. Our life needs to make a difference. It needs to be distinctive. Not just in our dress and our apparel, although that applies many times, but in everything we do. What, what will they miss about us if we were gone? Well, they remembered that there was a group of people that fell so deeply in love with God, fell so deeply in love with Christ, that their whole life reflected the kind of passion and drive and motivation to live like Jesus. Would they know? Would they be able to say, we turned away from our idols in order to follow God? You know, and idols, yes, in the New Testament, yes, in the Old Testament, and in many cultures today worldwide, idols are literal physical things that are involved in rites and rituals and, and activities of false worship. But the idols that most people will notice actually have nothing to do with religion. They have to do with our lifestyles and the way that we live. What are my highest priorities? And is it obvious is it clear that every decision I make is a decision about the way Jesus interacts and works in my life and in my heart? Can they look at what I stream and know I'm a Jesus follower first and foremost? Would they listen? You know, I don't know how, how many of y'all got the, 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 the end of year Spotify report. I find it interesting to see what the top five genres I listened to in 2021. I found it interesting to see how many minutes I listened to music. I found it interesting to see what the top five, the, the analytics appealed to me. I like looking and seeing what my top five artists are. Would I be comfortable if we put it on the screens this morning. Or we put it through the live stream so that you could see it. Would I be comfortable with that? What about my Bible app? We, we utilize version deeply in our church for our Bible studies and our quiet times and, and our, all of our activities that interact in our Bible plans. And you get an end of year analytics on that. Would I be comfortable if that was posted? That you saw how many days I read my Bible last year? Would I be comfortable with seeing how many plans, devotions I completed? Would I be comfortable how many verses I've shared with someone? The analytics of my life reflect the priorities of my life. And Paul says, they know and they watched and they saw how you turned from idols, how you turned from the things of this world to God. And he became the priority. There's a rechanneling that takes place 
In verse 9, again, he says, you changed from, idol, from God to idols, and you also changed and you also shifted your priorities to serve the living and true God. Is it clear who I serve? And this is so important for our kids. Is it clear who we give our allegiance to? And there, are, everything's asking for our allegiance, and lots of things are good. I enjoy saying the Pledge of Allegiance because I love our country, and I'm deeply committed to our country. But at the end of the day, I want your son, I want your daughter to know that Pastor James, first and foremost, is looking forward to his citizenship in heaven. And everything I do is because I, first and foremost, serve God. Do my kids know that? Do our grandkids know that? Do, do our brothers and sisters, do our friends and our families and our neighbors, can they see where we serve and how we serve the living and true God? Because our example makes a difference. None, none of this is, is to make us feel guilty or make us feel you know, like we're be, being beat up. And you know, when I look at it and there are things, I look at, at my life and I say, you know what, there needs to be some shifts, there needs to be some adjustments here. Maybe my priorities got off, and it's easy. It's so easy for priorities to, to get confused at times. I just, I just need to pause and stop, acknowledge that. And make the shift again. And say, okay, I'm going to adjust in this area. I'm going, to, I'm, going to make, I'm going to make an effort to do that. Because the example I want to set is an example of serving Christ. Serving God first and foremost. That it is the highest priority of my life. And that everything that's a part of my life falls into that. And, and people can see it and know it. And part of the reason I want that is because I understand that how deeply God loves us and he loves us enough that he rewards us. Paul describes that rewarding process in verse 10. We wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus is fully and completely victorious over sin and over death. Over the worst parts of our life, Jesus has victory. And we're waiting for him. Jesus, the one who will rescue us from the coming wrath. That's why these changes in lifestyles are so critical and so essential. And it's not about feeling bad about ourselves. It's about understanding that God has given us freedom. When I go to heaven, I am not going to be criticized and condemned. I'm going to be commended. Because God loves me. And just like the Apostle Paul, I look forward to, I anticipate in that moment receiving the crown of righteousness. Receiving the crown of life. Being in God's presence as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And even when I look at him and say, well, yeah, but you know, there was this thing that I just couldn't get over. Or there was this time. And he's going to say, I forgive you. You're perfect in my image and in my presence. 
what we look forward to is complete and absolute perfection. And so, yes, we're going to make mistakes, and yes, we're going to trip, and yes, we're going to fall, and yes, we're going to be tackled, and we get back up, and we step into the game, and we don't give up. Because somebody's watching. We don't know who it is, and we don't know when it is. So let's just give our whole life to living for and like Jesus. Let's follow the examples that we've seen, both good and bad. And then let's live an example that others can follow and that the message can go out every place we go. Where will we go this week? What will we do? And will it be a reflection of Jesus first and foremost? We're here. We're enjoying being with one another. We're singing. We're worshiping. We've had Bible study. We're about to dismiss out and we're going to go eat lunch and we're going to have activities. Let's go as the Jesus followers. We are. Every place we go, let Jesus be obvious.